G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, wrapping up the month of July. Dave, hello. Hello. It's actually starting to heat up a little bit in Doctor Who fandom, isn't it? It's starting to heat up in Doctor Who fandom. And in Sydney, it was 22 degrees today, Dave. This is meant to be winter. Uh, it's cold and raining here in Melbourne, so... Uh, oh. <laughs> it, 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 it is still winter. <laughs> I was very surprised. I was wearing a cardigan and an overcoat, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a bit overdressed for this. This is a bit crazy. No, oh, okay. Uh, but no, it is hotting up in Doctor Who fandom. After several months of us saying, it's all very quiet, we're not sure what's happening, when are we going to get some new series news? We're getting new series news now. It's, it's starting to trickle in. It certainly is. I think San Diego Comic Con was the catalyst for it, and we now know, I guess, a little more than we once knew. We do, so we'll be talking about that in our new segments. We, of course, have got our main feature for this month, Rob, which is us putting classic Doctors in new Who stories. Yeah, I had a lot of fun preparing for this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I, I can tell from the tone in your voice, you might have too. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that segment. Yeah, just a bit of fun. But uh, so news. So in the last couple of weeks, Rob, We've had a couple of big things drop. I say big things, but we've had a mini teaser trailer and a slightly less mini teaser trailer. That's right. And neither of them really showed us what's happening in the episodes, Dave. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. I think that to say that they are trailers is a little bit generous. They are very much teasers. They're just something to go, hey, kids, Doctor Who will be back later this year. You remember Doctor Who? It's back. <laughs> but it's not It's not what I would call a trailer that actually gives you a taste of what's to come and really sort of whets the appetite and goes, if you like this stuff, you need to watch our show. It, it was just a reminder that Doctor Who exists. Yeah, I mean, kind of interesting, quite, quite artistic. I'm thinking more of that longer form one where the Doctor seems to be running... The, the Doctor's become the Flash, I think, Dave, and the Doctor is running around <laughs> at high speed around a cafe and uh, replaces someone's food with pizza and replaces Graham's um, newspaper with a copy of the Beano and, and then runs off at great speed again. And I thought, oh, okay, interesting, I guess. And I'm very grateful to the Goodies Pirate podcast we've been doing because I know what Beano is. <laughs> yeah, I... Um, I read a lot of British uh, type comics in the 80s, so I knew what it was uh, too. It was kind of fun to see it pop up like that. Uh, Yeah, well, I must admit, when I did see it pop up, what went through my mind was Tim Brooke Taylor saying, they've replaced Beano and Andy with Porno and Randy. (laughs) So that was was what I went through. Rob, what was your reaction to these two teasers? Oh, look, I... The first one in particular, where it just ended with Jodie sort of staring vacuously at the audience... I think I even made the comment on Twitter, oh, look, she's in the same pose as in that single publicity shot we've been looking at for the last six months. It hadn't really sort of advanced the cause at all. <laughs> you know, she she had moved a little, but other than that, it was pretty much like looking at a publicity shot. Maybe if you took the publicity shot and just moved it from side to side, you'd have pretty much the same effect as uh, what we saw of Jodie in the first of those trailers. Yeah, I was very curious about the thinking behind this. I certainly give it credit that it did get Twitter and social media going within dedicated fan circles. No doubt about that. It did serve that purpose. I've read some people saying, no, no, you're missing the point. It's for the wider audience. That that I'm not sure is a valid comment because 
for the wider audience, Jody is still not the Doctor, really. Yeah. And if you're going to do a tease and say, remember Doctor Who, you like that show, it's coming back. Don't you have familiar stuff in there? Don't you have some, you know, sound of the theme? Do you have the TARDIS? Do you have a Dalek? Uh, what to me this really felt like was a, a, a teaser almost designed for like a Comic-Con presentation or for people to do reaction videos of on YouTube because it is very much that, where is she? Where's the Doctor? Where's Jodie? There's something weird. Something mysterious. Is it? Oh, there she is! Oh my god! Oh, look at her! It's Jodie. Like it felt like it was designed for that sort of reaction. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I think it may be my parents seeing this on television, perhaps, and, and they'd be like, well, "What was that?" You know? Yeah, yeah. It, who, it doesn't really tell them anything. Yeah, and unless you've really been invested in the fact that Jodie Whittaker has been cast as the Doctor and what her costume looks like, I suspect a lot of people would just go, "Well, who was that?" Oh, mm. they're in Doctor Who now. I wonder if they're the new companion. Yeah. Well, I simply say, I don't know how deep into the zeitgeist of of just the average television viewer the idea that the Doctor is now a woman has actually seeped. The UK, probably it's a bit deeper than Australia. I don't think it's had much coverage in Australia at all. No, it made a little bit of a splash when she was announced, but I think people have largely forgotten since then if they're not fans. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why I make that comment that I don't think people would have looked at that and gone, oh, wow, that's the new Doctor. It would have been, oh, who, who, who was that? Oh, they're in Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fan reactions, Dave. Did you see much fan reaction out there? Oh, my God. I saw fans tearing each other limb from limb. <laughs> Doctor Who fans doing that? Uh, well, even it, it seems to get worse every year, Robert. It really does. Because I saw the fans who said, this is the greatest thing ever, and just based on these four seconds, she is now my absolute all-time favourite Doctor. And you go, okay, well, that's great. I'm glad you're happy, but mm. low bar. And then I saw <laughs> other fans go, okay, it was a 10-second trailer in which we saw her staring into space. Who cares? Yeah. Immediately followed by the fans going, how dare you, you evil, misogynistic bastard. If you didn't love that trailer and you don't love Jodie now, you are literally Osama Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take this theme and run with it when we get to our mini topics. I'm going to tie it into Star Wars. So uh, <laughs> stay tuned, folks. Yeah, so look, it, it's been very interesting. Uh, I must admit the trailers were kind of spoilt for me because obviously they drop in the UK during the day. So I saw them first thing when I woke up. You know, you get up, you check your email, you check your social media, you sort of look through Twitter to see what newsworthy events have happened. And obviously I follow a lot of Doctor Who fans on Twitter and there was this, oh my God, I've seen the trailer, the trailer, the trailer. Mm. And so you'd sit there blurry-eyed at 6.30 in the morning on an iPhone going, oh, the trailer. Well, there's some flash lightning and a magazine. <laughs> and I didn't actually pick up a lot of the stuff that was happening until I watched it a couple of days later on the computer properly. Yeah. But, but look, it, it's, it's got us talking, which I guess is the purpose of it. I will reserve any judgment until I see a real trailer with actual footage, trying to set a bit of a tone and a bit of an idea. Um, I'm still very agnostic on this season to come, Rob. It's not that I'm not excited, but I've, I've yet to have my appetite really, really wet. And it mm. perhaps is partly that fact that we've discussed before, I, I don't know who Jodie Whittaker is. So it's not like, okay, I know Peter Capaldi. I'm waiting to see what this guy does. Or, oh, I've seen Matt Smith in Party Animals. I wonder what he's going to do with the Doctor. It's mm. like, yeah, 
it is the blankest of blank slates for me, Rob. Yeah, I I know more of her, and we've had this discussion before. So to me, it's like, oh, it'd be interesting to see how she does this because it, it's a role very unlike anything she's played in the past. And you know, we hear stories about how on the set of Broadchurch, I think she would juggle and and laugh and play, and it's like, oh my god, because her character in Broadchurch was a very depressed parent who had a a dead child <laughs> and you, you try and reconcile those two thoughts in your head like oh she was lots of fun on the set oh that sounds really weird uh, mm. but okay she must have that side to her and she might get a bit wacky but so far it's just a lot of sort of looking out at the screen from publicity shots or at the end of that trailer i, I guess in that other trailer though we had this she's sort of talking to the companions and saying you know like will you be my friends will you be my mates and it was almost echoing Capaldi's like, you know, Clara, will you be my pal? And it's like, yeah, okay. You know, nothing new there. Uh, I, I, I still don't have a feel for it either myself, even though I have a bit more of a feel for her as an, as an actor. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right with you there. Which brings me to my final point, and this is a genuine curiosity I have, in, in, in that it still doesn't need to answer how they're going to write and how she's going to play the role. Now... There's a part of me that says, well, you follow the Terence Dix rule, which is you just write the doctor and let the actor, or in this case, the actress, put their portrayal over the top. And indeed, some of the best characters in, in science fiction, both in Doctor Who, Blake Seven, etc., have been characters written male, and then you just have a woman play them and play them with that dialogue and that, that tone. Uh, is, is that how she's going to do it? Is there going to be a desire to actually write her as a more feminine an inverted commas character. I, I don't know. I don't have a view on which way they should go. And, and again, these these grabs didn't really answer that for me. I suspect because this is going to be that tedious post regenerative doctor who, who mm. you know you, you you can't get a handle on. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm right with you there. I have no idea. Uh, what I was saying earlier, though, was uh, San Diego Comic Con seemed to be the uh, the setting for a lot of these reveals and the reason why this time of year was chosen. And I've got to say something, you know, when you talk about, you know, you don't have a feel for this and it's all a bit up in the air. There is the entire panel for Jodie and her three companions. Uh, Chibbers might be on it as well. Uh, that's been put up on the Internet. And I looked at it and I thought, do I want to watch this? No. No, I don't. And that might sound really negative, but that's kind of how I am with this new series at the moment. I'm I'm very open to watching it, but I'm not really champing at the bit for it, and I'm not trying to get every bit of information. I mean, I thought to myself, what are they really going to say? You know, they can't actually say what's happening in the series or anything useful, so it's probably just more of that, you know vague oh we have such fun on the set and oh jody is so wonderful in the role and oh you'll be very surprised with some of the twists and turns see i could do the panel myself (laughs) sitting here by just trotting out all these cliched sort of lines so i haven't i haven't even gone and watched that but it is out there for people to go and watch i don't know if you've had a look at it dave no i've seen a bit of stuff out of comic-con but i've more focused on some of the movie announcements than than the television stuff and 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 like you you know, immediately after Series 10 aired, I was champing at the bit for this. That interest has waned as life goes on and I watch other shows and I get busy. Mm. I have no doubt that my excitement will build as we get to Episode 1. But but right now, just it, Doctor Who just seems so far away in both directions. 
Oh, I agree. D- despite what I just said, when it's the night before, I'll be thinking about it. When when I'm about to push play on iView or however we end up watching it here in this country, I I will be really looking forward to it. I believe I'll be excited. But yeah, right now, yeah. You know, couldn't care less. Um, Also at San Diego Comic-Con, of course, there were new toys. uh, There were Funko Pops. There were other action figure type things going on. And Jody's Sonic Screwdriver was revealed. Now, I don't want to go into this too deeply, but a lot has been made of the shape of this Sonic Screwdriver, Dave, because it's... uh, it has a slight curve to it, and it, it kind of looks like, let's not mince words here, a sex toy. Okay. I uh, <laughs> I didn't see that. I thought it looked more like a shellfish, but... Well, look, to be honest, the first thing I thought it looked like was Count Dooku's lightsaber, um, because it had yes. a curve to it. Yes, yes, yeah, that crossed yeah. my mind as well, yeah. And the reason that really crossed my mind is the picture where she was holding it so you could see the curve, she had the hood of her jacket up. So she looked like a Jedi. She, she's got this hood, she's holding this curved silver uh, thing in her hand, and it's like, oh, that's very Jedi-like, very interesting. But soon people were saying, well, look at that curve down the bottom, it's kind of like a sex toy. And then other people saying, you're just saying that because she's a woman, all the other sonic screwdrivers look like sex toys. I thought, mm, I'm not sure if they did. Um, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Anyway, the, the toy of the sonic screwdriver is out there. It has a yellow light. So we've had blue lights, green lights. Now we have a yellow light in the lightsaber, uh, in the lightsaber, in the sonic screwdriver. <laughs> and it seems to have, and, and this is also a bit lightsaberish as well. It seems to have a crystal. The yellow glow is coming from a crystal, almost like Jedi's having their lightsabers. Uh, and when you push the button, the crystal spins around. I don't know if that's a very realistic uh, interpretation of what it will do on screen. But I thought, oh, that kind of looks interesting. Yeah, you know, okay, new Sonic, new Doctor. Yeah, the risk of continuing my uh, grumpy old classic fan persona, I don't care. Yeah. Look, the, the, the Sonic screwdrivers have gotten more and more elaborate over time. I'd kind of like if we went back to the Tenant one, just and Eccleston one, just that short little one, little blue light, does what it says on the box. It's nothing fancy, you know. It seemed to become a magic wand under Smithy and has taken on a life of its own uh, since. It, it does get fans very excited, or at least a certain segment of fandom gets very excited about it. Um, I, I think of it as being a sonic screwdriver. I totally agree with the Russell T Davies view that the Doctor should be stopped by plot and monsters, not by doors. And therefore, <laughs> you know, a sonic screwdriver is useful that he can, he can get out of doors. And you know, as our friends on Flight Through Entirety noted, one of the big problems with Davo losing the sonic screwdriver is that the whole of season 20, he spends part three of every story locked up because he doesn't have a sonic <laughs> screwdriver. <laughs> and so, you know, fair I, cop, I'm, fair I'm, cop. Yeah, so I'm not anti sonic screwdriver. I just don't get very excited about the prop. Yeah, I, I've never been too Sorry. interested in the prop. There, there are people who say, like, I have every sonic screwdriver and they have all these little plastic toys. And I think, oh, even as a collector, even as someone who does collect, you know, little plastic pieces of tat, I'm not interested in those. Um, hmm, anyway. We move on. I, I would be genuinely interested if there's somebody out there that is one of these people that gets really excited about the Sonic Screwdriver, um, email us or, or, or tweet us and tell us what it is about it because I, it, it genuinely sort of goes over my head and I'll be fascinated to get an insight into into what it is about these. Yeah, look, that, that, that's a fair uh, that's a fair question. I'd be interested in that too. 
oh gosh, let's not go down the rabbit hole of, you know, when Smithy would just wave it around like a magic wand. And then, then he'd look at it like he was taking a reading or looking at a display. And yes, I think it was there's, a, there's, it was a truck there's no over. display on there, uh, Smithy. <laughs> you know, we've all seen the prop. There's no uh, LED screen on it. You're not, you're not looking at anything. You're looking at the handle. What are you looking at, Smithy? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a tricorder. But we'll, we'll move on from that because we're being negative. We don't like to do that. No, no. The other thing that came out of the Comic-Con was, and I saw this article in the Radio Times, Jodie did speak about her costume. Yes, now this is interesting. So I'll, I'll actually read straight from the Radio Times article here. Speaking at San Diego Comic-Con on the weekend, Whitaker explained that a Google search looking for evocative images led her to a black and white photo of a woman walking in purpose deep in thought in short trousers, boots, braces and a t-shirt a description that chimes strongly with the 13th Doctor's eventual outfit. Quote, The costume kind of felt like it could come from anywhere, and it should feel like that, she said. I don't want something that felt too neat or tailored. So there's a little bit of background as to sort of the vibe and the tone and the inspiration for the costume there, Rob. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And I don't mind this costume at all you know i i look i think yeah that's kind of quirky and doctorish and in some of these new publicity shots her t-shirt has seemed very uh maroon very red dark red to me uh when previously i thought it was black unless she's wearing different colored t-shirts which could be interesting i mean eccleston wore different colored jumpers he had like i think a purple one and a green one at, at least uh so it could be along those lines maybe she's going to change the color of her t-shirt every now and then I have to say, Rob, my views of the costume have warmed as we've seen more of these photos and these very small clips. Remember I said at the time when they first, you know, deeply, deeply uh, photoshopped photo came out of it, I said, look, this just looks like an unnatural costume. I can't judge it. Mm -hmm. Now that I've seen her wearing it in more naturalistic costumes and actually on screen, I am warming to it a lot more. And I I, I suspect that that would be the case, but it, it does... It seemed to be one of those costumes that looks a lot better worn than it does in a publicity photo. Yeah, I remember too when it came out, I, I agreed with you that it looks static. And what I was enjoying was a lot of fan art where people were drawing it, doing different things like the coat swishing about or maybe with the coat off, how they imagine it might look. And I was kind of excited about the fan art. And now, of course, like a, again at San Diego Comic Con, she appeared at... Um, the Her Universe fashion show. Her Universe is like a, a label for um, female clothing, uh, geek clothing. And Jodie sort of walked down the runway in in the Doctor's outfit. I think she had the hood up and sort of walked out. So people were like, oh, it's someone dressed up as the Doctor. And then suddenly she pulled the hood off and, ah, it's Jodie, yay. And just watching the costume move there as well, I thought, yep, she will walk into the room. She is unmistakably the Doctor in that costume. You won't confuse her with anyone else on screen. Yeah, no, I, I am, as I say, warming to it, and I look forward to seeing it properly in the series. Alrighty, let's move into the mini topics, and I, I promised I would do this. Yes, you teased us, Rob, so reveal, reveal. <laughs> like you, Dave, I'm I'm starting to see people get very territorial over um, Series 11, and I can already see the guns being aimed at people. Um, like you were saying earlier, you either have to love Series 11 or you're a misogynist pig, um, <laughs> according to some. <laughs> and as I said recently on a pal's Facebook page, hello, Rob McKnight, how are you? On this podcast, we seem to be holding the middle ground so far. We're not 
with the girl germs the show's ruined crowd because that point of view is just ridiculous but we're equally not with the female doctor right on because men suck uh type <laughs> people we're we're waiting to see if this is a good fun series of adventures with a gang of pals who we like and if it is i think we're going to give it a big thumbs up am i right dave uh, yeah, look, exactly as we've done for everything else that we've watched and reviewed. If we enjoy it, we'll say so. If we think there were some faults, we'll, we'll try and say why. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're aware of, we're going to talk about this later, but the recent, recently the final episode of the Goodies Pirate podcast came out where we reviewed basically our journey back. And one thing that we said there was we've always tried to say when we didn't like a Goodies episode, but to explain why we didn't. And what could have been different and what could have made it work better, which I think is a very valid way to do that. And if we're watching season 11 and we go, this isn't quite clicking for us, we'll say so. But hopefully we'll try and say, this is this is why. Either the plot isn't working or the tone isn't working or a performance isn't working. But if we love it, we'll say we love it. I mean, we did that with episodes in series 10. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just what we do. But, you know, I'm getting a feeling just already based on the way I'm seeing people defend this series, defend Jodie, etc., without having really seen anything themselves. Uh, I'm getting the feeling that some out there, whether they're podcasters or whether they're just fans on Twitter... I think some are going to really struggle to call this out if it's not very good or if a particular story is not very good because they won't want to be seen as being against the first female Doctor. I think it's going to be a very real problem. For us, that's not a problem because we don't have a problem with the Doctor being female. <laughs> um, we're just in it for the good stories and are the characters characters we love, yes or no? You know, no more, no less. But, but it is also, we've referenced this before, it is also this whole world we're in now where something is either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever and there is absolutely no place for nuance whether it's politics or movies or sport or whatever although sports probably been that way forever but but mm. you you can't sit there and go it was pretty good or i enjoyed that <laughs> but i had some faults it either has to be perfect or awful yeah, everything's getting dumbed down at the moment, and this is where Star Wars comes into it, because I'm, I've been seeing these same sort of comments happening around Star Wars. You know, there's a lot of people who don't particularly like The Last Jedi, and they have been dumbed down to, you know, what, you can't handle female characters? And, you know, I sit here as someone who wasn't too impressed with The Last Jedi, and I just think, what? What the? You know, my, my issues with that film are about Luke's characterization. You know, something that even Mark Hamill has struggled with and has spoken about at length. He doesn't think Luke would have done the things he did, but he just had to act what was on the page. And how the story of The Last Jedi has left me not caring about seeing the third part of the trilogy. Because I just think, well, what, what am I really looking forward to? I, I don't know. What am I wondering about? I'm not wondering about anything. I'm I'm sure Ray and uh, Kylo Ren will have another fight and that'll probably be the end of it. I'm, I'm just not interested in it. You know, it's nothing to do with Ray or Leia or Vice Admiral Holdo or any anyone like that. But I would bet London to a brick that if I went online and said, man, I really didn't enjoy that film, the assumption people would make about me is that, you know, I had some sort of problem with the women in it or, or, or something like that. And it's just, no, that's just dumbing down the argument to sort of get around my very real issues with this. It, Mark Hamill's very real issues with his character, etc., etc. Yeah, look, hopefully that's something we can avoid and I hope our audience enjoys us all the more for it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll jump off that topic. We will. So let's talk about something we can gush about. 
which is the season 12 Blu-rays are out and arrived and in our hands and in our Blu-ray players. Well, you say our hands. I haven't got mine yet. <laughs> oh, Rob. Well, clearly you just hate Tom Baker. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be the only reason. That's yeah, that's the right. only reason. You clearly yeah. just cannot, cannot stand Tom Baker. Yeah. Bad fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm slapping myself in the face. Ah, ah. There we go. Look, it, it is a really wonderful thing. I, I said a few months ago when this was announced that for years now, my view has been how I, I dare those cynical BBC types to try and just sell me a Blu-ray of stories I've got on DVD. Perfectly good copies. That would be so cynical. Then they announced season 12 with the packaging and the and the promotion and all the material. And I just said, take my money now. <laughs> and it is, yeah. it is a gorgeous box set to hold. It looks lovely. The presentation, and you know, I haven't got the most expensive dynamic TV on the world, but just from the moment you put on the opening titles for Robot, and the colour's just that little bit crisper, the image has that video crisp look about it, and it is just a wonderful way to do it. And if nothing else, it's a lovely excuse to watch some really great stories. I've only watched the first couple so far. Life's very busy, and you know, I try to watch new series as well. There isn't that time to go back and watch as much old Doctor Who as I wish. But I watched Robot, and I love Robot. It is such a delightful, fun story and such a great start for Tom. And then Ark in Space, the same thing happened with the Blu-ray that happened with the DVD when it arrived many years ago, Rob. I sat down over dinner and said, right, I'm going to watch part one of the Ark in Space over dinner, <laughs> then go about my business for the evening. And an hour and a half later, I'd watched the whole thing because I could yeah. not stop. And I've seen the Ark in Space 20, 30 times in my lifetime. But again, I just could not stop. Yeah. No, it's a wonderful season. It's the perfect season for them to release. Of course, it's, it brings me back to that conversation we had a few months ago. What are they going to do with all the other seasons? Are they all going to end up on Blu-ray one day? That seems a bit weird. I'm not sure if they would do all of them. So are we going to end up with half Blu-ray, half DVD collections if we want all the episodes, etc., etc.? That's the fan collector part of me worrying already, Dave. But <laughs> in terms of the uh, season 12 as as a whole, just sitting there on its own, yes, beautiful. And I, and I will get it, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm also enjoying taking the time to sit down and watch these. So... It'll work out to probably to be a story every week or so. And that's actually going to be a really nice way to just wade through this in, at my leisure. I, I know some people have gone out and they've binge-watched and that's great, but I'm really enjoying just letting this season unfold at a leisurely pace. And I haven't yet got to the extras. I'm looking forward to seeing the new Tom Baker extras. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to a very rainy, quiet Sunday afternoon where I, where I will put on... Uh, the Tom Baker years and just 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 watch that craziness <laughs> that, that is Tom watching random clips and trying to make head nor tail of some of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a lovely presentation. I'll be interested to hear, and I haven't heard yet, how it sells because that mm. I think will be the biggest indication as to whether we get a lot more of them and how quickly we get a lot more of them. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't this have been a wonderful thing to release around the time of or just after the 50th anniversary, just when f fan interest in the show was just such a high, you know? Because it, it does seem like a lull at the moment. I'm not saying that people aren't going to buy this, but it, it just would have been nicer maybe a few years ago. I don't know. No, but hey, it exists. It's here now, and I'm loving it. Very, very good. I wanted to touch briefly on Funko Pops 
Do you have any now, Funko I, I, Pops, Dave? I saw this on the running order, and I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was a typo. What? What is a Funko Pop? <laughs> Funko Pops, they've been around for years. They're uh, little collectibles where they take a, uh, a, a character from pop culture. It might be from Doctor Who, might be from Battlestar Galactica. It could be one of the Ghostbusters. They have heaps of licenses. And they make a little figure of it. And it's got a tiny little body and a massive, massive head. Almost like a bobblehead. In fact, some of them are bobbleheads, but not always. And this massive head is very stylized. But even with very basic eyes and a tiny little nose and a hairstyle, you can instantly tell who it's meant to be. It's quite freaky. You can see these things and you go, oh, yeah, that's Venkman from the Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, that's such and such, Papa Smurf, whatever it might be. Um, Probably probably a bad example, Papa Smurf, being blue and all with a big white beard. He's quite (laughs) recognisable. But I digress. Um, Funko Pops are extremely popular. There's actually a very good documentary about uh, the Funko Company on Netflix at the moment. If anyone's interested in that, just type Funko into Netflix and you'll see that. It was a great documentary, actually. And uh, they do have the Doctor Who licence. Now, I just wanted to mention, because I only learned this recently that a number of the Doctor Who figures in this range, and they do do a Hartnell, Dave, have been vaulted. This is what Funko calls it when they stop making a figure and they will never be made again and shops can't order them and all that sort of stuff and it becomes something that only fans are going to trade and sell between themselves. And uh, quite a few of the Doctor Who ones are now vaulted. And I thought I'd just raise my hand and say to people out there, hey, if you've ever looked at Funko Pops and thought, oh, I wouldn't mind a Smithy or I wouldn't mind a Captain Jack or a Capaldi from his first season with the Magician's Coat, uh... They're all vaulted, these ones I've just mentioned. There's, there's, a, there's a number that aren't. You know, they do like a Sarah Jane, for example. I don't think she's vaulted at the moment. One of the two Tom Bakers is vaulted, the other one isn't, and so on and so forth. But just look into it, because once these things are vaulted, collectors, they start to go up very much in price from, you know, what we might pay at the shops, like $17, say, in Australia for a Funko Pop. Suddenly they get vaulted and they're 25, they're 30, they're 40, they're $45. And if they were a rare run to begin with, maybe they're like a San Diego Comic Con exclusive or something like that. And then they're vaulted. My God, the price is just rocket. Um, so if you want a Smithy in particular, he's already starting to go up in price. I, uh, this is a public service announcement, basically, Dave, is what I'm doing here. Okay. Well, I, I have <laughs> nothing to add other than to thank you for your announcement. Thank you. <laughs> um, I want to mention quickly, Rob, I've listened to The Faceless Ones in the last week. Wow. What brought that on? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I just suddenly had the urge to watch the, the existing two episodes. And after that, I thought, I really want to keep watching this story because I really enjoy those two episodes. And so I, um, I actually didn't put the CD on. I got the, uh, the Audible book or whatever it is on the iPhone now and listened to it on the way to work. And I was really impressed. The Faceless Ones is one of those stories that really does get a bit forgotten, even though it's got existing episodes. Mm-hmm. If you'd said to me, you know, what, what what happens in the back end of the story, I would have said, look, I, I know they go to a space station and I know that there are, you know, bandy things and, and if they get pulled off, the Faceless One chameleon guys dissolve or something and somehow mm-hmm. it's all resolved. But it really didn't stick in the memory and I was amazed at how exciting and how well it fills out a six-part story. I really enjoyed it, and I'm going to go back and listen to a few more Trouthens now. I think I've the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, I should revisit that. That was one of the later Target novels that came out, uh, like in the late 80s. I remember buying it and reading it and really quite enjoying it. I thought it was a fantastic story at the time. Yeah, but, it's, a, it's a very good Target novel, and it, it is one of the larger ones. Yeah, but sitting here right now, if you asked me to tell you what it was about, well, I've got no idea. It's, it's, it's not like I've gone and watched the story because the story doesn't even exist in full. Um, you know, it's not like I've watched the story multiple times over the last few decades. Um, I've, I've read it once back in 89 or 90 or whenever it was. Yeah, so it, it, it's nice to go back and listen to some of these things. And as I say, I'm going to listen to a few more over the next month or two. Very nice. Uh, briefly, I want to touch on Doctor Who on Twitch, which is wrapping up or has wrapped up at the time we go out. Uh, the later Doctors didn't seem to have quite the impact of the earlier Doctors. I don't know if that was because people had seen the later Doctors and they hadn't seen the black and white stuff, so the black and white stuff was more interesting, or whether they just got fatigued, like they were just sick of watching Doctor Who on Twitch or whatever. But they just didn't sort of, you know, have the same um, ta-da on, on social media that the others had. Uh, look, I, I agree. I haven't seen any of it on Twitch, but I have followed some of the social media. I think the fatigue has to be a big part of it because mm. the pace they went through, you know, okay, you could maybe say in the first couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of clear my diary and do a few less social things and, and enjoy Doctor Who on Twitch. But you can't do that for weeks and weeks on end and still, you know, feed your family. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect that people did sort of have to drop off a bit as well. And I suspect as well the novelty of the 80s is slightly less than it was for that first sort of 10 to 15 years where people would have been looking at this black and white 55-year-old television and going, wow, I didn't know it was this good. I'd never seen these doctors before. I've never heard of these companions before. Whereas the further I think you get into it, the more it's like, oh, look, look, I know who Tom Baker is. I know who Liz Sladen or Sarah Jane Smith is. Um, I know who McCoy is. And, and, And so there's probably slightly more familiarity but yeah, I actually do think the fatigue is a big thing. But because they smashed through the series very quickly. Oh yeah, because they weren't showing everything. Uh, the night before we recorded this uh, here tonight, I was watching an episode of Curse of Fenric on there, and even the chat box down the side of the screen, uh, instead of just like just constantly pinging off the screen with new comments you know, someone to make a comment and it would just sit there for ages until someone else commented. Yeah, right. And I thought, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, this this isn't going as well as the earlier stuff. And then someone kept saying London 1965, London 1965, which is what they were saying during the Black and White episodes. And I thought, why are you saying this during a Sylvester McCoy story? I don't get this. Ugh. And, and <laughs> then I just turned it off. Yeah, the internet can be a weird place sometimes. Yeah. Uh, another small thing to mention is I'm I'm a bit over two thirds of the way through the 31 day Doctor Who Twitter challenge. Ah, now you might have to explain this to people who aren't following us on Twitter or don't see when I retweet your tweets. Well, somebody out there I can't remember where I found this now. I apologise to whoever it was. Um, had tweeted this this graphic that's out there and it has the numbers one to 31, obviously for a month, and on each day you have to tweet an answer to a Doctor Who-based question. So some of them are simple, like your favourite Doctor or your least favourite Doctor, your favourite companion. Others are things like your favourite titles or your favourite logo or the monster that scared you or an actor you really want to see in Doctor Who. And I, I sort of looked through the list and thought, oh, this will be pretty easy. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. It'll be a bit of fun. And some of them were very easy, like, you know, tweet your favourite Doctor. Well, okay, it's William Hartnell. 
tweet your favorite companion. Oh, absolutely sure. But some of them, like the monster that scared you the most, or the actor you really want to see in Doctor Who, or some of your favorite things. And I thought, no, no, it would be very easy to you know have four or five picks, but I want to have one pick. And I was scratching my head over a few of them, and it's been a really interesting and fun thing to do. I don't know how many people are looking at them and, and whatever, but I've kind of had fun doing this little thing. It's a fun Twitter thing. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed retweeting when you've put them up, um, and I've looked at them, and some of them I thought, oh, of, of course, yes, I knew that. But others I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that, you know, about your fandom. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. If you look at the Doctor Who show Twitter feed, you'll see them all retweeted there, and maybe uh, some of our listeners will decide to do that as well over 31 days. Yeah, maybe I'll even do it one day. I'll be very <laughs> interested to see some of your responses, Rob. Favourite Doctor, Davo. Yeah. Favourite companion, Polly, uh, and so on and so forth. And so on and so forth. <laughs> now, Dave, the main topic. I've been waiting for this the whole episode. Yeah, so, look, well, let's have some fun. We're going to put each of the first eight Doctors into a new Who story. And we're going to end by saying a few new Who stories we just can't imagine a classic Doctor in. Yes. Very simple, but hopefully fun. <laughs> Yes, and we've had a few comments from listeners too, which we'll read at the end of this segment. And did you find when you were doing this, Rob, some doctors were really easy and there were multiple choices and others you've really struggled to find a suitable one? Yes, particularly because I found it very hard to pick one for the third doctor. I really struggled. I I looked up and down the list of stories for a long time before I slotted him in. But others... I slotted in almost straight away and then I'd see another story. I think, oh, that could be one for him as well. Oh, there's another. Oh, 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 he could be in everything, you know? Mm. (laughs) And so, yeah, some did seem very easy. Some had multiples. Not that I'm going to do multiples here, but yeah, Pertwee. Pertwee for me was so tricky. Oh, interesting, because he was the first one that I did. I've just gone, Pertwee goes in there, done. Oh, yeah. Look, when I found something for him, I thought, well, that fits and that's, that's the Pert, you know, he would do well. But it took me a while to find it. Okay, so do you want to go first or shall I? We could toss a coin, Dave. Oh, I, 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 have, I have a coin right here, so we are live tossing a coin. Heads okay. or tails, Rob? Tails. It's heads, so I guess I'm going first. That's you. So, Hartnell. I have decided to put Hartnell, accompanied by Vicky, into the Eaters of Light. Oh, wow, okay. Because, I, as you know, Rob, I really like The Eaters of Light. It was one of my highlights from the last series. I think yes. it's a very lyrical sort of story that suits the Doctor and the First Doctor. I, it's I can historical. Imagine, it's historical. I could imagine him having those interactions. I can imagine Vicky going and meeting all the Roman soldiers and doing the things there. And although it would probably end in a slightly less manic way, I, I just thought this is a landscape and this is a story and an adventure I can imagine William Hartnell striding through and the dialogue working for him. And and I think it's just a really lovely story. And, and maybe that's why it did resonate so much for me, because maybe it is a very Hartnell-esque story at its core. Mm, I, I can buy into that. I, I think that'd be wonderful to see Hartnell in that story. So where did you put my favourite Doctor? Dave, I put your favourite Doctor, literally, into the Dalek. Oh, explain. Because, Dave, what a wonderful 60s concept miniaturization is. So imagine being miniaturized, and I do know they did that in the Hartnell era, uh, but put that aside. 
miniaturization being inserted into a Dalek, the, the monster of the 60s. It just seems too good a scenario not to put a really inquisitive Hartnell into. You know, could you imagine Hartnell being miniaturized and put into a Dalek and getting around and having a look? Oh, look at this. <laughs> you know, that's and, a really <laughs> cool concept. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but now you explain it. That's a really cool concept. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there may be some bits later in the episode that are a bit generic and maybe not, not so uh, heartenly. But the actual, just the concept of being miniaturized, the concept of going into a Dalek, it just seemed so 60s. And I thought Hartner would just love it, just getting around, having a having a look around inside his, his enemy. I like that. I like Thank that you. Well. So Troughton, this was a harder one for me to place. But in the end, I've gone with Troughton in Midnight. Oh, uh, Be- because he be- can act with his son. <laughs> well, I didn't think of that. Of course, oh, of course. Oh, that's it. I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't pretend. Of course, Rob. Yeah, that was a, a subtle little reference I was making there. <laughs> um, I-, I think the story of Midnight actually portrays all of the various characteristics of the Second Doctor because I can imagine Trouton starting off with that sort of gleeful i'm going on holiday and i'm going on this adventure to look at this really cool stuff and clapping his hands and being very excited and fun and interacting with the other other um, passengers and all the rest of it and then you could get that darker serious trouton as the story evolves and and that really sort of almost melancholy trouton at the end and i just thought all all the things that he does so well are encapsulated in that story okay I, I like that, and yes, I can buy into that. And I'm, I'm buying into some dark Troughton as well in my choice as well. So I, I, I totally get the kind of Troughton you mean there right, towards well, the end of the story. I like dark Troughton, so where have you gone? I've placed Pat into The Girl Who Waited. Oh. Mm. Now, this always felt like a 60-ish kind of story to me as well with the the funny garden sets and and things it, it, and some of the camera angles and stuff it felt like a quirky 60s story not necessarily a 60s doctor who story i mean more of a i don't know the prisoner or, or, or something there's just something mm-hmm. about the girl who waited that, that felt 60s to me and i think pat could be very dark you know, when, when the Doctor has to leave Amy behind, or let's say he's leaving Victoria behind, an old version of Victoria, could you imagine Pat having to make that decision? And he's got the young Victoria on the TARDIS and an old Victoria outside, and, you know, just how dark Pat would be, his face, the the uh, the, the lines in his face, the shadows. Oh, his voice had dropped down an octave or two, Dave, and he'd be very, very grim. It's interesting that we've both latched on to that darker portrayal in my case, not not in its entirety, but we've both had that as a bit of a hook into the story for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a more interesting kind of trout than, you know, I don't know, skipping around with his recorder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to my mind. No, I like that. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, so Pertwee, this was the very first one that I wrote down. I, I'm intrigued. Uh, so I've put Pertwee and Joe Grant into yeah. the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. Now, are you thinking of he's t- he's taking Joe Grant into space for the first time? That kind of vibe. I can imagine the Doctor and Joe on their first trip away. He thinks he's got the TARDIS working again, but it's all the Time Lords, and he's sent to this big conference dealing with these weird alien races. He he gets to have that melancholy moment where it wouldn't be my planet's been destroyed, but I'm I'm exiled to Earth, and I, I need to accept this. 
and and all of that stuff that goes on. He could he could be very arrogant and deal with um the lady Cassandra, and, and Joe could do that investigation and see aliens for the first time. I, I just thought this was just such a natural fit, and and maybe I'm thinking Curse of Peladon in the back of my, my mind. Maybe this was ah. too easy in that sense, but when I got there, it just felt so right. Yeah, no, I, I can go with that. It's interesting you mentioned Curse of Peladon because for my Pertwee story, there is an Ice Warrior in it, Dave. I've gone with Cold War. Oh, you see, I thought when you said Ice Warrior, you're going to go with Empress of Mars, but, but Cold no. War, go on. Cold War. As I say, this was the hardest for me to pick um, without being really obvious, like doing something like The Hungry Earth or something, which which basically felt like a Pertwee story yeah. at the time um, and saying, oh, well, I put Pertwee in the Pertwee story. But I think here, you know, Pertwee in the Cold War with an ice warrior, uh, threat of nuclear missiles flying about, it just seemed a very Pertwee thing to do. And it would get John on a, uh, a naval vessel. He'd love it. Um, you know, <laughs> there'd he be all would, sorts he of, would. you know, uh, shenanigans going on. And, and I just think, yeah, once once I hit upon it, I thought, Pertwee, Cold War. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. I like that mm. one too. Okay. So, Tom, I, Tom, Tom was one of two I really struggled with. However, in the end, I've actually gone and picked two different stories for two different reasons. Okay. Um, so, for the first one, I've put Tom and Sarah Jane Smith into Smile. Oh, that's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. And again, it's it's that, that different sort of early Tom where at the start of a story, he could be going through those fields and exploring this deserted space station with Sarah Jane Smith and... You know, making comments about all oh, these funny robots and all that sort of thing, but then getting that grimmer Tom as he works out what's going on. Plus, of course, you get all the stuff with the children, and particularly that that young kid. And Tom works so well with those kids that you could just imagine those interactions being really, really good. So I, I just thought, mm. the more I thought about it, every every scene in this story, I could see Tom working in. Yep, big tick there. But at the other end of the spectrum, just for a bit of fun, I've put. Tom and Lala Wardramana into the Unicorn and the Wasp. Ah! <laughs> because I could just imagine that as a season 17 story. Yes. Yes. Now, we're going to revisit the Unicorn and the Wasp uh, later in this segment. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, for, for different reasons. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so not, not a snap directly, but, uh, yeah, interesting you bring that one up. So where did you put Tom? Dave, I've put Tom... And it may seem very obvious, into Mummy on the Orient Express. <laughs> There's silence. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, it may seem obvious with mummies that people think of Pyramids of Mars and such, but this was the first episode I can recall where people said, my God, did Tom Baker deliver that line or did Peter Capaldi deliver that line? There was a particular line in the story where he said it almost exactly like Tom. And it got me thinking how the Doctor acts very Tom-like in it, and, and conversely how the Tom Doctor would probably go quite well in it too, maybe with Sarah Jane or someone like that. And I thought, yes, I think Tom would absolutely smash Mummy on the Orient Express. And you know what? I, I, I want to change your answer a little bit, Rob. I want to yeah. put Leela in there as well. Oh, okay. And what would she do? Well, I just think that, that because a lot of this story is about instinct and trying to work out what's going on and trying to think differently and 
Leela was always really interesting when it came down to that. You know, her instincts were always more finely tuned, and she sensed and 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 um, intuition things that other characters wouldn't. And that could have been mm. a really interesting thing to see here. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting too. Okay, now best doctor ever, Dave Davo. I went with a few <laughs> combinations on Davo. But then when I landed on this, on the one, I, it, it wasn't the obvious story. I don't think it's an obvious story, but it's one that I think would work really well. So I'm putting Davo and Perry into the impossible planet and the Satan pit. Oh, wow. Because I'm, th- wow. I'm thinking that really season 21, Davo. Yep. I'm thinking that Perry going off and exploring and meeting the Ood as probably you know her first adventure after Planet of Fire would be really intriguing uh, her exploring the wonders i could imagine davo sort of showing off the, the black hole and what's going on but then i can imagine davo teaming up with someone who isn't his companion which he did a lot and going down that rope and, and visiting the satan pit and i just thought he would be so good with those interactions yeah yeah no that that, that would work very very well yeah it's not a typical Davo, i don't think but i think it is a a good like it, where David was really good with stories like this. Oh, he could be so dashing and heroic, getting down on that rope, and you know, and that scene where he has to let go of the rope and just fall away into darkness. And oh yeah, yeah gosh, that'd be great. Yeah, mm, so I'm, I'm, okay. that, that, that's what I'm very happy with. I'm very very comfortable with that pick. Okay, I would put Davo, Dave, in Vincent and the Doctor. Okay, that's a partial step from me. I'm coming back to that story. Okay, because it's such a sweet, sentimental sort of story. Uh, I think Davo just runs away with that kind of acting um, versus the rest of them. Except maybe McGann. When McGann's in his younger, more Byronic kind of romantic sort of self, maybe he could do it too. But for me, Davo in Vincent and the Doctor, I can just imagine him in the art gallery, you know, with the uh, Bill Nye talking about, you know, Vincent van Gogh and all that, and, you know, just the look on Davo's face. He'd probably have his hands in his pockets um, and and just beaming at, 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 um, at Vincent van Gogh at the time. I, I just think it'd be really nice. I can picture Davo doing it. Which is interesting because I've put Colin and Mel into Vincent and the Doctor. And this is this is your next one, and that's my next one. And and it's, yeah. it's interesting you you've sort of taken a very lovely and soft story and put a lovely and soft doctor in there, whereas I've put Colin in there because it is the sort of lovely and soft and dramatic story. I think it would have been lovely to see Colin get, and particularly that later Colin with Mel. I, I would love to see Colin play those more emotional and subtle moments and those sadder moments I, I think his interaction with bill nye would be very very different to what matt smith did or to what uh davo would have done um he would always have been quite imperious and dismissive of bill nye that could have been fun as well but you know i can imagine colin being bombastic with the um the the, the chicken <laughs> monster but then yes. but then sad colin at the end of the story mm. and, and and i think Colin would really have benefited from from a story like that that actually let let him be dramatic, not just not just bombastic. Yeah, give him a chance to act, really stretch him a bit. Yeah, yeah, and and Mel I think would be the perfect companion for that story because she was such a sweet, bubbly person, and she would be so excited to meet Vincent Van Gogh, and then so sad, you know, both at the uh, the death of the chicken monster and then 
seeing you know what happened to God Vincent. Yeah, yeah, true. That, that that is an interesting one for me to think about because I would have never put Colin in that story, but now that I think about it, it's quite an interesting thought to have. Yeah. Where did you go to with Colin? I I took Colin into dinosaurs on a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get dinosaurs on the spaceship in there. I almost went from dinosaurs on the spaceship with Troughton, actually. Interesting. Okay. I, I, mostly because I could just imagine Troughton doing the, oh, dinosaurs on a spaceship. <laughs> it just seems such a Troughton line. But go on, Colin, Colin. Yeah, I thought, you know, what a wonderfully colourful, bonkers kind of situation for him to be in. He'd get to play off historical figures. Last episode, we were talking about H.G. Wells in Time Lash, and it got me thinking, you know, yeah, what about more historical figures like uh, Nefertiti and so on? You know, this could be a lot of fun. And, and on a spaceship, I started thinking of Terror of the Vervoids for some reason and how that was a really good story. So maybe I'm thinking of a later Colin Doctor as well, just getting around having this just crazy story um and just doing something fun you know whereas a lot of his stuff is just so grim and he's so angry and all that sort of thing so uh yeah dinosaurs on a spaceship it it is interesting there isn't it that we've both gone with colin for trying to find that fun adventure that would actually sort of take him out of frankly what a lot of his era wasn't uh or what a lot of his era wasn't give him something that it wasn't um we've 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 approach it in different ways but both of the same sort of thought yeah and i mean look i i still love revelation of the daleks i think revelation of the daleks is his best episode however i do like to see the fun stuff as well now rob mccoy took me quite a while to really be happy with mm-hmm. but i but now I, but once i landed where i was I actually became happier and happier with what i've chosen and i've chosen to put the seventh doctor and ace into Face the Raven. Oh, with the same ending? With the same ending. Because when you think about it, McCoy's Doctor is really defined by that manipulative planning ahead. You know, he's always three steps ahead, the chess player on multiple boards, all of that sort of thing. And Face the Raven would be exactly that sort of episode where he would think he's doing all that, he's got it all planned, and then Ace goes and does an Ace-like thing, which is do the brave, oh, I'll just take this on and i'll fix the problem and it'll all be sorted and suddenly the doctor's manipulation hasn't worked and his planning hasn't worked and he's got to deal with those consequences i I can see mccoy falling into that trap and i can see ace taking that move in some ways more than i can clara i could see ace just doing the crazy brave thing without really thinking it through and suddenly suffering the consequences well i I was going to jump in there and say ace wouldn't be smug about it you know, because we had Clara just being so smug that oh, I'm like the Doctor, I'm as good as the Doctor, you know, even calling herself the Doctor in one of those earlier episodes was a flat flat line or something like that. And here, I think Ace would just be more, yeah, I'm, I'm going to help, I'm going to save things, and then realising that, no, she's going to die, and she'd be like, Professor, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> do something. Yeah. And, 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 he, and he can't. Yeah, and, you know, hang on, I... I... I, I planned this all ahead. It was going to be different. What What's going on? And no, this wasn't what I intended. And she said, well, why didn't you tell me? And, and, and all of that. All of that season 26 stuff that goes on. I I just thought that face the Raven would fit so well into season 26. Mm. Ah, no, that, that's a really good one. That that might be my favourite pick of yours so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that one. But where have you gone with McCoy? Dave, I've gone Unicorn and the Wasp. Oh, this is where you put it. 
Yeah, there's something about this that just screams Seventh Doctor to me. You know, out in out in the countryside, that setting, the way he dresses, the way he'd fit in with the other people at the gathering, the crazy scene where he has to detox from the cyanide. You know that that Tennant does quite a good job of. It's quite comedic, but could you imagine McCoy doing it? Like, could be knocking things off the shelves and he's guzzling things and spitting things out. And, you know. <laughs> He'd be absolutely great doing that physical comedy during the cyanide scene. Um, and, and just in general, I think meeting a historical figure, a very British historical figure like that, I, I there's something about the late 80s McCoy that I just think, yeah, he just fits right in there for me. Are you going Ace or are you going Mel? I would go Ace. Okay. Because when you said it, uh, the image that I got was of that shot of McCoy with his jacket off in that jumper lying back in the sun just kind of relaxing in silver nemesis yeah that and that's the kind of vibe yeah. that's the vibe i see that i totally see that vibe but i i did think for a moment that you're going to say mel because i could see this is a season 24 story like this this kind of feels a bit like dealt on the bannerman oh yeah because it's got that really fun angle to it that yeah. the first mccoy series has yeah 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 i get that but i i think i just like ace too much <laughs> <laughs> oh. guilty <laughs> yeah, no, interesting. They're very different approaches we've taken with the McCoy Doctor. Really different approaches. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. W- which just leaves one guy. McGann. So I yeah. could have been cheeky and just said, well, let's just put McGann into the day of the Doctor where he should have been all along. <laughs> that would have been quite funny and true. Uh, yes, but uh, look, that's that's too easy. I put the McGann Doctor into the Idiot's Lantern. Oh, Okay. Yes. Imagine Paul McGann dashing around 50s London, doing the motorbike thing, doing all the stuff with the wire, all the big climaxy stuff, um, the interaction with Tommy. I just think that's a really sweet tale, but with a dash of action and a dash of adventure. And that, to me, is what McGann is. Interesting. Okay. Oh, I, I can see that. I can buy that. And, and, and I do. Uh, for me, this suggestion came from my wife. She came in while I was going through this list and said, you know, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm, you know, making this list and explained it to her. And, you know, she was giving me a shoulder massage and reading over my shoulder. It was, it was quite a pleasant scene, Dave. <laughs> and um, then she said, you haven't got McGann yet. I said, no, and she, she quite likes McGann. She thinks he's fantastic, actually, um, both in Doctor Who and out, outside of Doctor Who. And she said, how about silence in the library? And I went, oh, and she said, you know, he's romantic and he's losing River Song. He's never met this woman. You know, imagine the scenes between McGann and River Song. And I thought, oh, now that you say that, I can't not think about that. And suddenly I thought, yeah, you know what? I think that would be a very interesting story for McGann to be into. The the Vashta Narada are a good enemy. The romantic scenes with River Song. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it, it just fit for me. If you were to excise the Donna plot from that story and just make mm-hmm. it a real, real tale between the McGann Doctor and Riversong, really focused on that relationship, I agree, that would be a really interesting episode. It might even make me start liking Silence in the Library. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I thought, you know, and again, it's the younger, more Byronic McGann that we're thinking of, mm. not the sweaty, sweaty, dirty Night of the Doctor McGann. Um, 
and yeah, just there's something about it. I, I couldn't not see it once she said it, so the, I didn't the, really get the Byron Doctor in a library. Like that just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that really absolutely. makes sense. The more and more I think about it, the more that that sort of works. That's right, and his anguish at at someone who he he clearly is meant to be in love with, but he hasn't met her yet. So the conflict, and then she chains him up, and he can't get to her, and she zaps herself, and you know, oh, he would be heartbroken more so than Tennant, I think. Yeah, and I also think he would be better than Tennant. Not that I dislike Tennant, but he would be better than Tennant at really conveying a threat that is basically word peril in that story. You know, you you don't see a monster in there; you just see shadows and there's the threat of a monster and a, and a description of a monster and i think he would convey that in a really effective manner i wonder if it's because of the dialogue work he's done with big finish and and we concentrate on his voice more but uh yeah i think the way he could describe things and really stretch out some words and you know oh yeah that'd be great well there's some interesting picks there and some of them we've gone in the same direction but a lot of them we've gone in very different directions yeah. Uh, both from a point of view of having different styles for different doctors, but putting different doctors into the same story, which perhaps suggests that some stories do lend themselves to this more than others, mm. which brings mm. us to the idea that maybe there are some stories that don't lend themselves to this. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you want to start with one of your picks, Robert, for a story that you just can't imagine a classic doctor doing? Okay, my first pick for this category, Dave, is The Doctor's Wife. Okay. <laughs> okay. Have, we, have we got a snap? No, 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 but it, it did cross my mind. All right, because although the TARDIS is the wife to all the Doctors, yes, we get that. I think the way Smithy interacts with Idris seems like a real one-off to me. I can't imagine... Well, I can't even imagine other modern doctors doing it, like Capaldi or Eccleston, you know, maybe even Tennant. Um, but certainly, you know, could you imagine Hartnell doing it? No. Troughton? No. Pertwee? No. And so on and so forth. I I just... It is so Smithy to me, that story. Mm. It, it really is. And I think there's a lot of Matt Smith that actually is very, very unique. It's a very particular time in the series. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my first pick. Uh, my first pick is Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords. Oh, yeah, yep. Because yep. to me, this really feels like an ultra-modern story. It's got the pop music references. It's got that use of real-world politicians and, and, and news media. It, it, it's got aspects of the plot that you just wouldn't do in Classic Who with that sort of torture stuff. It's got that big picture sort of thing. It, it, it's got the, the, the old Doctor. It, the Master's very different to how he was in the original series. I just think... There are bits of it you could put a classic Doctor into, but the whole affair is just so modern and so different to the classic series. I couldn't imagine another Doctor in there. And you know what it's got, Dave? It's got that Jesus Christ moment where he flies through the air. Could you imagine if they went to Eccleston and said, and in the next scene, uh, Chris, you're going to fly through the air like Jesus Christ. I'm not having that. Um, you know, let, let alone Tom Baker. Could you imagine? <laughs> That's whippet. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, Smithy, I can't imagine. Capaldi. Capaldi would be like Eccleston. Um, yeah. I, that is very tenant, isn't mm, it? Yes. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Have you got another one for us, Rob? I do. I have a second and final one, and it's another Smithy story. And that story is The Lodger. Oh, okay. 
because I think you need a really young, dynamic doctor for this. And if we're thinking of the classic era, it really only gives us Davo, and he is quite sporting, you know. Um, I could imagine Davo kicking a soccer ball, sort of. He's more of a cricketer to me, uh, in my mind. But just broadly, he still doesn't work. He, he He's not young in the way Smithy is young and sort of zany in this story. I, I can't imagine Davo going in because I'm already discounting all the other doctors instantly because yes. I don't think they'd fit at yes. all. Um, you imagine Davo in it, you know, Craig's job answering the phones and asking for biscuits and uh, no, it's just, it is just so Smithy. When you first said it, I thought, well, hang on, you could put Davo in there, but but no, you're right. It is it isn't something you could put a classic doctor. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I totally buy that. I, you, you've you've thought about that more than I did at first. And yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> What's yours? Dad? Uh, so I've got two more. Uh, so the first of them is what I think is kind of the ultimate Smithy story, and that's a good man goes to war. Let's kill Hitler. Ah, okay. Yep, fair. Um, because that that is just so Matt Smith. It is it is so Moffat. It could only exist at that point in the series history. Uh, the the characters I think are very unlike the classic series. Um, the 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 tone is very unlike other series. That 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 just is. It it is the peak Moffat Smith era for me, and I don't think it could exist in any other time or in any other way. How interesting that so far the three stories are all Smithies. Oh, well, I had one tenant, but three of the four have been Smithies, yes. Yeah. Uh, but my final one's not. My okay. final one's a Capaldi story, Ooh. and that is Listen. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 even the other New Who Doctors, I don't think, have the gravitas to pull that off. And for the classics, yeah, I'm, I'm quickly running through them in my mind, trying to put them in some of those scenarios or, or, or delivering the lines. Hmm... Because no. you, you, you need you need that mix of tension and wonder, but also that very unusual thing of the Doctor remembering and the flashbacks to childhood and all that sort of thing. Now, the classic Doctors would never do that, and I don't think the other no. modern Doctors could pull it off. Uh, you know, e- Eccleston could have done some of the, the, the tension and some of the fun, but could he have done that nostalgia? I don't think so. No, it's a really no, Capaldi unique... Um, experience and listen is possibly my favourite Capaldi story. Uh, you know, what, what, what was the penultimate one called? Um, World enough and time. World enough and time would be competing with it, but listen's probably my favourite Capaldi story, and it is so Capaldi. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't disagree there. It's, it, I think you've nailed it. Well, there you go. We've had some uh, stories that we've had a bit of fun with, and, and I want to see a few of these now. Yeah, wouldn't that be good if they could somehow make them? <laughs> That'd be wonderful. It will. So we look forward to hearing a few more ideas from what our listeners have to say on this and what they thought of our picks. But we have got a letter and a couple of tweets, Rob. We do indeed. So what shall we start with, Dave? I can do the tweets if you want to do the letter. It sounds good to me. All right. Simon Pittman on Twitter at Library Player says, I'd put nine as in Eccleston, in the last Christmas special, Twice Upon a Time. It would be interesting to see how he'd get on with the first Doctor. You got an opinion on that, Dave? Well, it's interesting that he's tried, he he substituted a new Doctor for a new Doctor, and and Eccleston is so far away now that you you can do that. That, 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 That's my first point. I think that Eccleston and the first Doctor would have actually gone on quite well, because they're both 
very pragmatic, slightly abrupt people, they would either get on very, very well or they would not mm. get on at all. It would be one extreme or the other. That, that's true. Very true. Um, Simon goes on to say, I could imagine Seven, as in McCoy, in Day of the Doctor as the War Doctor. I know that's cheating a bit, but I can imagine Seven fighting in the war. And One, as in Hartnell, in Stolen Earth, just because it would be interesting. Yeah, that that would be a... Yeah, okay. I mean, Hartnell had some great Dalek epics, so I see it fitting there. Yeah. What about uh, McCoy as the War Doctor? I like that a lot. I actually like yeah. that a lot, yeah. Yeah, because he, he certainly has the personality for it. Particularly McCoy now, in 2018. Oh, that'd be very good. Yeah, I think that would actually work really, really well. Mm. All right, our second tweet is from Uncle Phil, a.k.a. Dr. Philip Basket at Phil2K on Twitter. He says, Sixy is a lock-in for the Pandorica Opens and the Big Bang, The Rings of Akaten, Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar, and Blink. I think he quite likes uh, Colin Baker. I think so, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to work, work my way through all those. Pandorica Opens, yes, I could see him having a lot of fun there. Ring. Yeah, he could make that big speech. He could stand up on that rock and shout at the aliens. Yeah, I, I could definitely that. see him doing that. Rings of Akatan. I could mm. definitely see him in the marketplace. I think he'd be really good in that, that, that early stuff. He would yeah. deliver the... Then, then the children start singing, Dave. Yeah. And everyone turns off. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt Colin would deliver that speech well, but can I imagine his doctor giving a speech rather than bursting in and doing something big and dramatic. I'm not sure. Mm. But I can see him in the market scenes at the start. I think he'd be really good there. Okay, so Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar? Yeah, that makes sense. The Doctor's slightly loony in that, and Colin could do that well. He could. I could definitely imagine Colin pulling Davros out of his chair yeah. and driving it around. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that works. And finally, Blink. That's interesting because the Doctor's not really in Blink. Yeah, well, barely. Barely. Um, and I guess in that sense, why not? Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty easy thing to be on those um, video links and things. Yeah. No, some different thoughts mm. there, but yeah, interesting thoughts for Colin and, and none that we picked. No, no, not at all. Uh, which then leads us to our letter. Uh, so this is from our regular correspondent, Mike Socko. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mike. He says, Hiya. This topic should make for a fun discussion. Well, I hope it did. Yeah. <laughs> Here are a few quick hit ideas. First Doctor, Barbara, Ian and Vicky, the end of the world. I'd like to see the Doctor ah. and Vicky in a situation where they are just as out of date as Ian and Barbara were portrayed in futuristic stories. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and end of the world could fit as a 60 story really well. It, it, it is kind of the web planet in space in some ways. Yeah, yeah, with all the aliens and such. I like that. Look, I actually think a lot of Doctor combinations would fit into the end of the world. It is, it is, it is a wonderful story that that helps to sort of ease people into the new series from the old. It's a lovely little gateway drug there. I think for the yeah. third Doctor and Sarah Jane, Mike says, "Time of the Doctor." Imagine the once exiled Doctor now chooses to stay in one place to defend a planet. What a character arc. I love that idea. He's finally got his freedom, can travel anywhere in the universe, and he then chooses, no, I'm actually going to exile myself to this planet. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really clever idea. 
Yeah, good one, Mike. The Fifth Doctor, he's putting into Midnight. Hey, Davo. <laughs> the most human of the Doctors in a situation where he has to convince others to believe him. Again, Midnight is probably a very classic Who sort of story, and you could see a couple of Doctors going in there. Um, I, I must admit, Rob, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Troughton for that. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I see why Davo could fit in there. I can see him getting so exasperated. Yes. And sticking his hands in his pockets and <sighs> deep breathing while he's talking to yes, people. doing panty acting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you must believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the seventh doctor, he says, and the seventh doctor, Mike says, human nature so they can get the ending right. Okay, kidding aside, he says the Doctor and Mel in a town called Mercy. McCoy in a Western seems a tremendously fun idea. That, to me, again, is that wonderful season 24, just have fun sort of story. I actually really like the town, A Town Called Mercy. It's possibly my favourite for that season, in fact. And, yeah, I think McCoy and Mel having fun in that would work really, really well. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed. So thank you so much for that email, Mike. It was great. Yeah, so thank you for that. And we look forward to hearing from some other listeners uh, what stories they might mix and match in. Yes, please. If you've listened to this episode and you have some thoughts, do get in touch. You know where to find us. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of our episode, Rob. It does indeed. Uh, Do we have anything to plug? Uh, Look, I do just want to mention, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that uh, one of the other podcasts I work on with uh, my friend Richard and, and Rob and Tom, um, the Goodies Pirate podcast is now done and dusted. We have been through every episode of the Goodies. We've wrapped up with a few special episodes and um, it's it's kind of been nice to put a full stop on a two-year project like that and just look back at a really fun series. So with the uh, DVD box set coming out, maybe a few people will go and buy that and uh, catch up on the Goodies Pirate podcast in its entirety when they... Uh, get to watch the goodies again yes and i listened to every episode of it um having seen most of the stories you talked about uh i am looking forward to getting that box set so i can see the few that i haven't actually seen Uh, it was very interesting to hear about them through the podcast i wonder if our friends in america get the goodies as much as maybe our british friends who listen. i'll be very interested about that we have had a couple of people writing from america but certainly most of the audience are uk or australian for, for the podcast anyway yeah, yeah. No, very interesting. But it must feel good to just put a lid on that and, and you're done. It's like a box set in, a, in its own it, right. It is. And, and we, well, Richard and I now continue to play on with Space for the Blake 7 podcast. Mm, which is Thank very you. good too. Um, <laughs> uh, some recent TV that I've been watching in no particular order. I've been watching The Detectorists. I've been watching Final Space and I've been finally watching series two of Riverdale. Now, two of these, Dave, have Doctor Who links. Go on. Detectorists is a Mackenzie Crook sort of vehicle. Mackenzie Crook, who was in the office as uh, Gareth. And he stars alongside Toby Jones, who, of course, was the, uh, what did they call him? The Dream Lord in Amy's Choice. He's that weird-looking guy. He's just got that weird sort of He's in a lot of things now. He's He's done a Marvel movie. He's done quite a lot of dramas. Yeah, and look, this is a comedy, short, you know, 25, 28-minute episodes about two guys who are in a uh, metal-detecting club and they get around trying to find, you know, Roman and Saxon treasure and and things and they have rival clubs and intrigue and all sorts of fun stuff. It's it's quite a a fun, small little series and um, I've really enjoyed the two series of it I've seen so far. That's that's been good stuff. Um, Final Space is a new animated sci-fi comedy which is on Netflix 
Netflix. It's not as good as, say, a Rick and Morty or even a Futurama or something, but it is quite weird and kind of fun and has some lines here and there that I like. Um, the Doctor Who link here is, I was watching, I think, the second episode, and David Tennant's name came up in the credits, and I thought, oh, this is this will be fun. I'll try and pick which one Tennant was in the episode. I couldn't pick it. Unlike when he's in, say, um, Ninja Turtles or something like that, and you just pick his voice straight away. I could not pick his voice. I'm going to have to go and look it up, actually, to see who he played. It was, I was a bit <laughs> disappointed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a sci-fi animated thing. It's rated M. It's a little bit rude. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, and finally, Rivendale, of course. What a guilty pleasure that is. That second series just goes off the wall crazy. But the fun thing is you can tell the actors in it know that it's crazy and that they're acting in like a really over-the-top thing um and they're just having fun with it i, I think it's yeah great. look i do enjoy riverdale i have to watch the second season i watched the first couple but i need to watch the rest i have been watching a series from about 10 years ago called kings oh i don't know that one it only did about 13 14 episodes before it was cancer it was a very expensive series um and it kind of reimagines some of the biblical scenarios in a modern day setting in, in that it, it it has uh, two kingdoms at war and a young captain by the name of David goes and rescues the prince of one of the kingdoms from the Goliath tanks <laughs> and, and it sort of it, it sort of goes on from there it's a very interesting sort of um fantasy is not quite the right word but a really Really oddball series. I've, I've really quite enjoyed it. And it's only 13 episodes, so uh, uh, yeah. I, it, I, I quite like that. Is it but, preachy, or is it just using biblical stuff as just a very basic setting? No, it's not at all preachy. It just sort of uses some of these names and tropes and ideas to tell a story about a, a kind of a fantasy realm. Oh, um, but, but But very modern. Like, you know, it, it, it's not like Narnia or anything. It's um, as if these, these countries existed in 2000. Hmm. Okay. Uh, one last thing I thought we should probably talk about, because we have done a uh, episode uh, on this in the past of our Alternate Galaxies podcast that we sometimes do, Dave, and that's Buffy, because there are, well, not rumours, that's pretty much confirmed there's going to be a reboot of sorts of Buffy. Yeah, so we, do we know, is this a reboot? Is it a sequel series? Like, is in the same universe? Do we have any idea of what it is other than just... Buffy of some sort? My my take is that all these news outlets, one of them somewhere has said reboot as a lazy way of saying they're bringing the Buffy world and universe back. Right. And everyone else has jumped on saying reboot, reboot. My, my sense is reading more widely in the uh, press release that the Buffy universe as we know it exists. Buffy existed. Everything's existed. They're just in the modern day with probably a new Slayer. I mean, there's tons of Slayers at the end of the uh, final series of Buffy, spoilers, um, maybe it's one of them, maybe something else has happened and things have moved on from there. I, I don't know. But, you know, as as long as they don't overwrite the old Buffy series, it's good that, you know, maybe some modern kids can watch it. I won't be too interested in it myself, though. I'm very curious. I will be checking it out. And I'll be very interested to hear, as, as the time goes on, what sort of approach they're taking. I do wonder, though, as much as I love Buffy, it is so 90s. I mean, like, it is so 90s. <laughs> yes. Which is great, because I, I am myself so 90s. Yeah. But but I just, 
I'm I'm curious, you know, can can you do Buffy not nineties? Would it still be Buffy? And if you did it in the nineties style, who would watch it? Well, indeed, you know, I mean, they will set it in the modern day, but I know what you mean about doing it in that nineties look, even if it is a modern series. I I just don't know. I can lightning strike twice and you know what are what themes are they going to do are they going to be in high school will there be big bads will there be a forbidden romance the vampire will get it on with the slayer we've done all that you know and if you're not doing that then what are you doing or is it just a modern take on the show so that a whole new generation gets their version of buffy yeah we well, think so but i can't see it lasting seven or eight seasons that's for sure <laughs> You, you, you are right when you say lightning in a bottle. I mean, that, that cast, Michelle Rochelle Geller and you know Seth Green in his little roles and um, Anthony Stewart Head particularly as Giles, like, there are a number of performances in that that really shouldn't work but did. And it would be mm. very hard to artificially recapture that. Good luck to them. I mean, you know, there, there have been some really good reboots and resets of series over, over the years. I mean, Battlestar Galactica surprised a lot of people. That's probably the benchmark for a... For a a reboot series and that that did find that balance i think between yeah it did overwrite the 70s series but it did it in a very homaging way and a respectful way yeah and i actually like the reimagined bsg over the original series i watched the original series as a kid um but i think the new bsg is is so much better so i'm not adverse to reboots when they do them right i just think in this situation unlike bs bsg where it was replacing kind of a a a hokey old show they kind of got buffy right you know there's maybe a series or two that aren't so good but out of the whole it's pretty damn good yeah you know does it really need redoing i don't think so yeah i'm i'm curious but yeah just not sure what the motivation is yeah but i mean conversely we've got sabrina the teenage witch coming which i never watched but you were a fan of um and that'll have sort of a riverdale vibe to it as well and that's the interesting thing though that is a a reboot in the in the real hard reboot sense of it's going to be from all understanding a phenomenally different show you know completely different in sort of tone and style and intent so it, it, it is going to be frankly a whole new series that's just spawned by the similar sort of source material yeah so i mean what what can you do with buffy because buffy was funny in places but also serious it was kind of violent in places but also you know kind of hokey um you know it kind of trod all over the place so you can't say well the modern buffy is going to be really dark and and scary well buffy was that or the modern buffy is going to be really really funny well Buffy already was that as well. So it's like, where do you go? Yeah, or maybe they do do something like the new series of Will and Grace, where it, it literally is those exact same characters just picking up you know, 10, 12 years later. Yeah, that'd be fun. It'd give Nicholas Brendan a job and so on. But no, I, I, I think it's going to be a new cast. It'd be interesting if they brought Sarah Michelle back from time to time, you know? Well, I, I would be surprised if there weren't at least some cameos or something going on there. Yeah, you'd want to think they'd trade on it, you know, in some way. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll be watching and seeing. But uh, until then, I guess we've got this episode to wrap up, Dave. Uh, we have, so I'm going to be absent next month, Rob. Yes, you are. And I'm I'm still tossing up what I'm going to do without you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It could, it could be anything. I might get one of our regulars in to have a chat. I might do a clip show. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> uh, yes. So, uh, yes. No apology, listeners. Um, 
I'm going to be spending uh, five weeks out of Melbourne, three of them in Canberra with work, and two of them on holiday. Yeah, no, that's fine. Dave Dave does this from time to time, folks. Don't be alarmed. He'll be back. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but I'm very much looking forward to the month after that where, well, we're going to be doing a topic that is very close to my heart. Yes, I've, I've had my fun with the Davo special, and now, Dave, you're going to... Have some fun with our Hartnell special. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to it too, I've got to say. That's right, and I'm quite f- looking forward to um, lying on a beach in Hawaii and just listening to what you produce with whoever the guest uh, person in this chair is in uh, in August. Or the clip show. Or the clip show. <laughs> well, lovely, Dave. That, sound, that sounds good. I wish I was on a beach in Hawaii for the moment, <laughs> but uh, beggars can't be choosers. Fair enough. But so, uh, yeah, look, we'll look forward to that. We, but we hope you've enjoyed a um, hopefully fun episode of the Doctor Who show. Absolutely. And do write in, let us know what you think. And until next time, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.